Very, very warm welcome to you this evening. If you're visiting, can I just say, I hope you feel at home. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've never been to a church like this before. You are welcome this evening. You are our visitors, our guests. We love to have new people here at the church. So please just enjoy everything that's happening. We've been on a bit of a series, you'll see behind me, looking at in the evening service, how to relationship. How to relationship. Give me a wave if you've been enjoying this series. Okay, a few of us, most of us, a lot of us. That's good. Hopefully you've been finding it helpful. Hopefully you've been finding it challenging. Hopefully it's maybe triggered lots of thoughts um, and questions as we've gone on this journey. Next week is a question and answer session with Pastor Peter. Uh, Maybe you've got questions from this series, things that you want to uh, talk about or, or ask, or maybe even on the back of tonight, then come along uh, and come ready for your questions. You know, life is all about relationships, isn't it? Life is all about relationships. We want to do relationships well, and so that's part of our heart in, in doing this how-to relationship series. And, and tonight, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking and focusing on the family, Uh, There's a story, apparently it's a true story, in 1978, uh, Thomas Hansen of Boulder, Colorado, sued his parents, listen to this, for $350,000 on grounds of malpractice of parenting. He charged in his court case that his mother and father had botched his upbringing so badly that he would need years of costly psychiatric treatment. Some of you have got an idea already, now. It was a unique case back in 1978. However, now it seems rather ordinary compared with some of the other cases that have come up in recent months. Apparently, recently, a woman sued her husband for not carrying out his household chores. Ladies, there's an idea this evening. Uh, A rejected guy apparently sued his ex-fiancee to recover expensive gifts he'd given her while together. A man apparently sued recently uh, his former lover after their baby was born because she had assured him she was on the pill. When it comes to tonight's topic of family, we need to recognize that we live in a very confused, mixed up, rapidly changing environment. We live in a country where you will soon be able to be prosecuted for smacking your kids, but not for killing them in your own home by an abortion pill. With the definition of marriage recently changed, and most recently the definition of gender constantly changing, the idea of family is constantly evolving, changing, and becoming ever-increasingly blurred. But no matter who you are tonight whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're a son, whether you're a daughter, whether you don't fit into any of those categories, but you probably should fit into one of those, this is relevant for all of us. You might be a mom or dad here tonight asking questions about how to raise kids. We might cover some of those things, but not all those things. Maybe you're a son or a daughter who's now an adult and wondering, how do I engage with my parents and my family? Maybe you're a single person here tonight, and, and maybe in your heart you, you don't want a family. 
Or you, you maybe can't see it happening or coming, and you're thinking, what has this got to do with me tonight? Maybe you're married, but you don't have kids, and you're, you're not even thinking about starting a family. Maybe you're from a broken family, or your family at this moment in time is, is in such a mess. Or maybe more sensitively, you're not able to have kids for whatever reason. So when it comes to this topic of family, it brings up all kinds of insecurities, all kinds of pain, all kinds of questions. And whoever you are tonight, my, my prayer this evening is that God would meet with you. He would stir your heart, and He would give us hope and fresh revelation this evening. That's what I've been praying for in the car on the way here and this afternoon. So let's just pray uh, as we begin this evening. Father, I want to thank you so much that you love us. I want to thank you this evening, God, that you are for us. I want to thank you this evening, God, that you have a plan and it includes the word family. Father, I want to thank you tonight that for those who are open, for those, God, who are searching, for those who are willing to put their trust in Jesus tonight can come into the most wonderful family that you have prepared for us. And so, God, with some of these thoughts tonight, and God, also with our insecurities and our pain, we come to you as our loving Heavenly Father, and we ask, God, that you would speak to us afresh. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this evening. Come and have your way. Do what only you can do. That's change and transform people's lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the plan for tonight, Dan, I wonder if you could bring up the whiteboard for me. Plan for tonight. This is the journey that we're going to go on. I cannot cover all the things that I need to in this time. We could do a week on the family, a week of lectures, a week of sermons. So I'm not going to cover everything. But here's the plan. I want to look at what is family. What does the Bible say about family? Okay. Then I want to kind of answer the question, why family? Why, why did God invent family? You might look at your family and think, why the heck did God invent my family? Okay? Why family? And then what I want to do is I want to kind of split the rest of the evening into two conversations. A conversation with parents. Give us a wave if you're a parent this evening. Okay, a few of us. And a conversation with sons and daughters. Give us a wave if you're a son or a daughter. That should be everybody, just in case you haven't worked that out yet. <laughs> so, that's the plan. So, let's look at this first thought. What is family according to the Bible? When God created man, He quickly placed him in a family. Adam had Eve. They became one flesh. They were husband and wife, the first family. And they received this amazing command. God said, go and have lots of sex, or in other words, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What a fantastic command. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. That's from Genesis 1, 28. God called them to have children 
and fill the earth with his image. And God's intention and design was for this to take place through families. From the first family, we see God created clearly defined roles. There was one husband and one wife, a marriage design that was instituted in God's perfect garden before sin entered the world. There were sons and daughters, and these were to come under the authority of their parents, and these roles are repeated uh, throughout the Scriptures into the New Testament. But as we come to look at the Bible, we need to also be real. We actually see so many bad examples of family. Because of sin, family is always messy, okay? Family is always messy. We see the first family, Adam and Eve. How long did that go well for? Not very long. We see sin entering the world, Adam and Eve getting at each other's throats. And then later on, we see one of Adam and Eve's sons killing their other son, Cain, killing Abel. The first civil war in Israel was because David, the most famous king, and apparently after God's own heart, went to war with his son, Absalom. Even Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph, one time apparently lost Jesus. They lost God. (laughs) Have you seen Jesus? No, have you? We have to remember the Bible is God's story of a perfect God working through imperfect people and therefore imperfect families. So why family? I want to give you just a few reasons that I think the Bible gives of why God has this idea of family. First and foremost, why family? God created the family to teach us about himself. God created the family to teach us about himself. You see, God creates family in order to communicate about himself. It's an amazing picture. He he creates family so that we would understand who he is and how he functions. Families, if you like, are a gospel picture. They help us understand who God is and what he is like. They help us understand the relational nature of God and how he relates to his children. And if you look at the Bible right from start to the end, you see what's called familial imagery, imagery relating to the family that comes up again and again and again. Different examples to teach us about his care, God's care towards us, his provision, his power, his love, and his wisdom. For example, in the New Testament, God is depicted as our perfect father who adopts us into his family as we trust in his son Jesus. And we are called again and again in the New Testament his, his children or his dearly loved children or his beloved children. God refers to us as a family, the church, as his bride, and to Jesus as the bridegroom. And both of these images and many of the other images we find in the Bible make sense, although maybe an imperfect representation when we have experienced them in the context of a physical family. So why family? God created family to reveal himself to us. Secondly, God created the family to bring forth life 
and flourishing. Again, you might look at your family and think, really? (laughs) That was God's plan. The, The family is the first and most foundational unit of a society. Families are the means by which mankind, we said this, multiplies and subdues the earth. Families Uh, by God's design, are the primary place a person is to be nurtured, cultivated, and cared for. And God's intention and design for His people is that they know the covering, the care, the instruction, the protection, and the love that comes from belonging to a family. This is so important to God that He commands His people to draw in those without families. And he, he does that again through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. He, he talks about the widow and about the orphan and about the foreigner and about the outcast. And he says, draw them into your family. Draw them into your families. Draw them into the church family because I want them to experience the love and the care and the protection that comes from family. God's intention is for us to flourish within the context of a family. Do you believe that? He graciously gives instructions about how families ought to function. So, throughout the Scriptures, you have uh, uh, Scriptures and instructions about roles for parents, roles for children, establishing authority structure, setting boundaries for our good and for our benefit. God calls parents to care and love and lead and instruct and discipline their children, not harshly, but with compassion and wisdom. God calls children to joyfully submit. Say amen. (laughs) Thank you, kids, to the authority of their parents and to honor them in everything. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Even the integrity of the family structure was so key to God's family in the Old Testament, the, the, the nation of Israel, that God included two of the Ten Commandments about ma- maintaining the cohesiveness of the family. Do not commit adultery and honoring your mother and father. We'll talk about that later. When God sent Jesus, He placed Him into a family. And although Jesus did not head a physical family of His own, He made the way through His death and resurrection to be born into a new family, God's family. So why family? God created the family to bring forth life and flourishing. But lastly, and and probably more importantly, the family is a picture, just like marriage is a picture. We don't have time to look at that. We've looked at that over the last few weeks. Marriage is a picture to something greater. Family is also a picture to something greater. God created the family to point us to the ultimate family. Our natural physical families point us to the eternal family of God. We, we said a moment ago that the physical family is one of the most important Uh, building blocks to human society. But more important, the Bible says, than that is the new family that God is making in Christ, a spiritual family, the church made up of, of anyone who would be willing to follow Jesus. This is a family drawn, the Bible tells us, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people group, and every language. And the defining characteristic of this family, this spiritual family, is love. 
And I just want to throw out that thought. I know there's some people here this evening who are visiting. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've been dragged to church by your parents before. But maybe you're not part of God's family. Maybe you call yourself religious, but but you've, you've not got a living, active, thriving, flourishing relationship with Jesus. God wants you to have that. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life in all of its abundance. And tonight, you actually have an opportunity to become part of God's family. And here at the church, every message we communicate and share, we always want to give an opportunity for anyone who's never had that experience. So if you're here tonight, you've, you've never been part of God's family, you have an opportunity to do that. And I will give you that opportunity at the end of tonight's message. Regardless of our experience of family, I think you would all agree to me, agree tonight with me, and testify that families impact us, don't they? Families, whether we like it or not, have had some of the most shaping of our characters, our values, our beliefs. And sometimes that can be from their presence and their blessing. Sometimes it can be from their absence and actually not from being blessing, but abusive. When it comes to family, there's no greater potential for human influence in the life of people. This is by God's design, family. So with that thought in mind, I want to start two conversations. First conversation I want to start is with parents, and then the second conversation I want to start uh, is with sons and with daughters. So put your hands up again if you are a parent here this evening. Okay, so there's maybe a quarter of us or so. The rest of us, I want you to listen in. This is still applicable to you tonight and still important. I'm going to read from the Old Testament. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It's a very famous part of the Scripture that the Israelites in the Old Testament would recite and would learn. This is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along, along the road, excuse me, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So rather than giving you lots of top tips about parenting tonight, which uh, I'm totally unqualified to do anyway, I want to throw out some principles as parents that we can live by. And here's what I want to do. There are three circles. Apparently, if you can do a perfect circle, you're mad. So I'm not mad, okay? Here's the principles that we find from Deuteronomy. First of all, we find right at the center, mom and dad. Then it goes on to talk about children. And then right at the end, I'll have to show you a little bit later, it talks about communities. Starts with mom and dad, talks about children, and then goes on to talk about transforming communities. I'll show you that in a moment. 
It starts in verse kind of four to six, talking about mom and dad loving God. We can talk about loving Christ at the same point. It then goes on to talk about modeling this to your kids. And then finally, it talks about how this can transform communities. Mom and dad, children, communities. That's what we're going to focus on. So first of all, in verses 4 to 6, we find this principle of mom and dad, parents, loving God, loving Christ. Can I just throw out a point, actually, as we start this? Parents, for those who are parents tonight, your call, the call in your life as a parent is not to be perfect. Say amen to that. Tonight, you need, you need to know that, you need to hear that. The call in your life is not to be a perfect parent. You never will, and God never instituted, that, instituted it that way. So take, take that burden off, take that pressure off as we go into some of these thoughts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Say hearts. Loving God is at the center of everything. Think, think about this for a moment. Why in this passage does it not say, okay, you, you, you need to keep the Ten Commandments. You just need to do the Ten Commandments, parents, and you'll be fine. You'll look after your kids well. Why does it not just say that? Why does it say, why does it encourage us to love God with all of our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength? As I've been thinking about that, this is what I, this is what I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I think as human beings, we primarily do things we love, or we do things because of love, not because we think they're right or wrong, but because of love. Let me give you a, a silly example. Imagine you're in a restaurant, and you're ordering some food, and you look down the menu, and you see the super green salad. You know that's good for you. You know it's good for your brain. It's good for your waistline. It's good for your training regime. It's, it's, it's the right thing to do. But what do you do? You go and you order that greasy cheeseburger. Why? Because that's what you love. Silly example. But we do things because we love and we do by what we love. The start of modeling to your kids is not by telling them to do what's right uh, and not to do what's wrong. Rather, it starts with love. It starts with you loving Christ and walking with Him. One of the best ways that you can love your kids, I am convinced, is by loving God well. How do we do that? I didn't have time this evening because, unfortunately, I got here a little bit late, but I was going to get for you two glasses, and I was going to fill them with two cups of tea, if you like, so that you could see them. And in one, I was going to place a tea bag, Tetley tea bag, and in the other, I would also place the Tetley tea bag. I would place the same amount of water and uh, I just want you to imagine, picture it for a moment. And I, I showed you the, the two 
cups, if you like, and I was going to ask you, what is the difference between these two cups? And one of you would have shouted out, amazingly, one of them looks darker than the other. And I would say, well, what's the difference? Both of the same tea bag, both of the same amount of water, both of the water temperature is the same. So, what is the difference? Anyone know? One's older. So, one has been in the cup a little bit longer. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. So, time. Would we agree? Time is the difference. When it comes to loving Christ well, how how do we do that? What does that look like? We talked about a few weeks ago, love is spelt T-I-M-E. There are lots of ways to cultivate a heart after Jesus, but ultimately it comes down to time, comes down to priorities. Here's a question. If a stranger took a look at your weekly schedule, what do you think they would guess are the most important things in your life? We make time for what we consider to be important. And looking at how you spend your time can help you assess what you have prioritized. Before parents, we can lead our homes. We have to start with loving Christ. It is essential for the spiritual development of your home that you have a genuine walk with God, not that you're religious, but that you love God. For a family to be all that God's called it to be, it must be a family that's following Christ. I was reflecting on this this week. I had good parents, I had a good family. I understand that not everybody gets that start. My parents weren't perfect, but they were good. And both my mom and both my dad were first-generation Christians in their family. My dad got saved at boarding school, and my mom got saved at university. And for them, following Jesus was real. I didn't become a Christian until I was 15, but for the first 15 years of my life, I didn't want it, but I knew it was real. And there are two things that... I remember as a kid that have impacted me more than anything else. Uh, The first thing that I always, that I remember about my parents is if I ever came into the bedroom in the morning, which is a dangerous thing to do. Peter talked a couple of weeks ago about putting a lock on your door. That's another conversation and sermon. But more often than not, I would come in and my mom and my dad would be reading the Bible together and praying and, and sometimes, this is a very dodgy thing to do, I would stand outside the door before I went in, and I would hear them praying for my brothers and for me. And I, I remember talking to my mom about that, and um, as we've started our family, I, I asked my mom for some advice and said, well, Sammy, one of the things that my, you and, or my dad, my husband, my, your dad and me used to do and still do is we would pray for you every day. I remember that. I saw that. That was not fake. That was real, and it impacted my life. Second thing that impacted me about my family, my parents, particularly about my dad, most mornings I would find my dad, if I didn't go in and disturb him in the bedroom, I would find him in the morning on a particular seat 
reading the Bible and journaling every morning. And again, I didn't want that for the first 15 years of my life, but here's what I knew. It was real to my dad, and it impacted the way he was a dad to me. And it stuck with me. All the other things, those are two memories, two things that have stuck with me for the rest of my life. So parents, I just want to throw that out. As you spend time with Jesus, as you cultivate that in your life, it will benefit your kids. Second circle, we talked about modeling this to our children. Verse 7 and 8, impress them, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. In many ways, culture has convinced parents that it's better to outsource their education, the training, uh, to professionals. So we outsource our education. We outsource music lessons. That's a good thing. We outsource coaches. We outsource tutors. We even outsource churches to teach our kids about different things and to help them in life. And sometimes, as parents, we feel insecure about raising our kids. There's nothing wrong with calling on experts. There's nothing wrong with getting extra help. But here's the point. When it comes to the Bible and when it comes to parenting and raising our kids, when it comes to spiritual matters, things like walking with Jesus, discipling our kids, God gives the primary responsibility to parents. I want to say that again. When it comes to walking with Jesus and discipling our kids, God gives parents the primary responsibility to do that. Not the church, not experts, not teachers, parents. In God's good design, parents are given the closest proximity and actually the greatest potential influence in the lives of their children. They have this incredible privilege to help them journey in life, to discover Christ, and to walk them through the challenges and the joys of life. And some of you here tonight, maybe some of you parents, maybe some of you kids who are going to be parents at some point, maybe you think, do you know what? I I just want to let my kids do my own thing. I, I don't want to influence them. I don't want to force my opinions. I don't want to force my beliefs on them. I don't want to force anything on them. And I'm not talking about forcing things on people, but here's what I would say. Their mates will. TV will. Culture will. Social media will. School teachers will. And so part of our responsibility as parents in a positive way, in a good way, is to communicate as best we can to disciple and help our kids follow and walk with Christ. You are to be the biggest influence in a positive sense in your child's life. Uh, I'm not using this as an example, parents, for us to follow, but this is an amazing story of Susanna Wesley, who was the mum of John and Charles Wesley, the amazing uh, Bible preachers, teachers who, uh, secular historians would say, transformed uh, Britain uh, at the turn of the 20th century, 19th century. Um, Susanna Wesley apparently spent one hour each day praying for her children. She had 17 children. (laughs) In addition, apparently, she took each child aside for a full hour every week to discuss spiritual matters. And no wonder her two sons, Charles and John, changed the course of UK history. 
Here's some of the principles that she followed. Teach them, teach them to pray as soon as he can speak. To prevent lying, punish no fault, which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Command and reward good behavior. Strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. That's a good one. This is what John Wesley said. I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. Wow. Here's the reality, guys. You are discipling kids whether you like it or not. The, the question is not, are you discipling your kids? The question is, what are you discipling them in? Whether you realize it or not, kids naturally imitate their parents. They mirror mannerisms. They repeat words. They mimic facial expressions. I've been learning that recently. They learn what's important in life by watching how you, mom and dad, spend your time, your money, and your attention. Two, two thoughts on this, and they're strong points, but they are important. Dads, any dads here tonight, if you are verbally or physically aggressive to your wife, or you refuse to serve your wife in the house, you're on your way to raising up the next generation of boys who are selfish, egotistical cowards. And you train your daughters that that's what she can expect from men. Mums, if you are a nag, if you constantly have to be the Holy Spirit to your husband, pointing out all his faults and shortcomings, blaming him for everything, then you're training your sons to feel weak as you dishonor their dad in front of them. And you're training your daughters the way they get what they want in life is by constantly nagging people about their weaknesses rather than being an expert in their strengths. It's important that we remind ourselves all the time we are discipling our kids whether we like it or not. The question is not whether we are, but what are we discipling them in? First Thess Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. Ephesians 4.29 says the same thing. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, maybe you're here tonight, parents, and you're thinking, Sammy, when the heck do I have time to disciple my kids? I mean, you've talked about Susanna Wesley taking one of her 17 kids a week for an hour away of discipleship. How on earth do I have time for that? We live in a crazy world. We live in a busy world. We, we live in a world of all sorts of things going on. How on earth can I fit this into my schedule? That's impossible. Well, the Bible is written in a real way, I want to tell you. And it's written in a way that understands that life is busy. And so, verse 7 actually gives us a very practical way that we can interact with our kids. Any, anyone ever sat down with their kids on a couch? Anyone ever sat down at the table with their kids, okay? You can disciple them then. Talk about them when you sit at home. Anyone ever been on a journey with their kids in the car? In fact, that is probably one of the best moments that you can get to chat to your kids. They can't get away, okay? Locked in the seatbelt. Anyone ever put their kids to bed? There's a discipleship opportunity right there. Anyone ever get up in the morning and try and do breakfast with the kids? Believe it or not, that is a discipleship moment and opportunity as well. What is the Bible saying? Life is 
busy. Therefore, use the opportunities of normal daily life to impart the wisdom of God, the truth of God, the love of God, the life of God into your kids' lives. You won't always get it right. There'll be many times when you fail, but God will help you. Verse 8 goes on to say, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. We don't have time to look at this this evening, but this is talking about letting the love of God affect the way you see things and the motivation with which you do things. So we have this principle of mom and dad loving God, loving Christ, modeling this to their children. And then finally in verse 9, it talks and says this, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The picture that this verse and these passages of verses gives us is that as mom and dad love God, they put that first in their lives. As they model this to their kids, what starts to happen is that influence starts to go outside of the home. It starts to affect the doorposts. It starts to affect the gates. In, in a sense, it's saying it starts to affect outside of the family. The amazing thing about family is that God uses it to transform culture. He uses it to transform communities. He uses the church family full of families who are loving God, modeling to their children to transform towns, cities, and nations. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, hey, Sammy, I don't have a family. Well, the reality is discipling kids Yes, it's the primary responsibility, and it lands on the parents, but actually it happens in community. It happens in the church community. And so if you're part of the church family, I want to just throw out a thought. Whether you have a family or not, one of your roles is still to get alongside and influence kids and young people and other people in this church. So parents, let's take some of those thoughts Maybe you want to pray about them this week as we consider and talk through this next part. So we've had a conversation with parents. I want to just finish with a conversation with sons and daughters. Give me a wave again if you're a son and a daughter. That should be everybody. Okay, these things are applicable to all of us. For most of us here today, we are not under our mother and father's house. Praise the Lord. But I want to talk to you about a principle this evening that I feel so strongly about, and I'm hoping not to be too long, but it's a a very simple principle, but a, a very challenging principle, a principle that runs through the Bible. It starts in the family, and it is applicable to all of us here as sons and daughters, and it is this principle of honor. Say honor. Deuteronomy 5.16 says this, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I've been thinking about this today. Why? Right. I want you to imagine that you're God. Some of you already think you are, but you're not. I want you to imagine that you're God. Imagine you're coming up with 10 commandments for mankind to flourish. Just think about all the things that you would do I don't know if I would think that one of the top ten would be honor your mother 
and your father. Anyone else agree with me on that? Or at least think maybe it makes the top 50 or the top 20, but the top 10? Surely not. But in this process, I think God wants us to understand this principle of honor at a young age. Because the consequences of dishonoring authority apparently get more and more severe as we get older. And so I want to share three things just in closing about honor that I want to take home, that all of us can take home this evening. And it's in the context of honoring our parents, but as in a moment we'll see it, it goes much wider than that. First of all then, honor produces faith. Say faith. Honor produces faith. There's two amazing examples in the New Testament about honor uh, and in the connection with faith. There's the story of Jesus where he goes to his hometown. Remember that story? And uh, it it goes on to say, Jesus in this uh, part of uh, Mark's gospel talks about a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. In other words, Jesus experiences in his hometown dishonor. They question Jesus and say, isn't this the carpenter's son? How on earth can he speak and teach this way? How can he see these amazing miracles? We know who he is. In effect, they dishonored Jesus. It says at the end of Mark 6, 4-6, and he wondered at their unbelief. Unbelief, otherwise known as lack of faith. What caused it? Apparently, dishonor. There's another story in Matthew chapter 8, an amazing story of the Roman centurion. I don't know if you remember this story where he comes to Jesus and he asks, uh, I can't remember if it's his son or one of his officials, he needs healed. Uh, And so he speaks to Jesus and Jesus uh, is going to come to his house. And the Roman centurion basically says, Jesus, I I understand how this works. You don't need to come to my house. I'm a man too under authority. And he goes on to explain uh, how he understands the principle of authority. And he says, I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Um, But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, listen to this, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Why did he understand faith so much? Because he understood the principle of authority and honor. Maybe this is a harsh reflection on our culture, but I'm in this culture, so maybe it's a fair. I think the reason we are one of the most or least faithless generations for a long time is because we are a very dishonoring generation. If you want to have great faith and grow in faith and move in faith and understand what it means to have faith, you need to understand the principle of honoring authority and honoring your parents. So, honor produces faith. Secondly, the Bible tells us honor produces blessings. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Here's the journey that the Bible's trying to communicate to us. 
When we are children living under our parents' roofs, we are to, according to the Bible, unless it goes against God's Word, obey them. When it comes to us moving out of the house, we no longer obey them, but we are to honor our mothers and our fathers. And hopefully in that transition of moving out and getting, uh, being a young person or a young child to becoming a teenager and a young adult in the house, it moves from obedience to honor. And what's the promise we find here in the Scriptures? This is what it says, the promise for honoring our parents. What's the promise? Shout it out. Okay, so some people say long life. In one sense, it's a long life, but imagine you had a rubbish long life. I mean, that would be pointless, wouldn't it? The promise is not just a long life. The promise is actually that things may go well with you. It's no benefit if things aren't going well with you and you have a long life. You know what I'm saying? So the promise that God gives in the Scripture is as we honor our parents, things may go well with us. There's another corresponding Scripture in Romans 13. I don't have time uh, to read it all, but it, it talks about, it should just come up here, honoring authority, in particular government uh, and governing authorities because God has put them in place, and that's some challenging verses. There's lots of questions on that. I have some. But this is what it says right at the end. Those who, in terms of rebelling against God's authority and government authority, those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, those who honor their parents and honor authority, things will go well with them. Those who resist honor and authority actually bring judgment on themselves. We find in the Bible that Jesus honored his parents. In Luke 2, 51 and 52, it talks about, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was submissive other uh, translations say obedient to his parents. And then later on that verse, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But look what proceeded before that. He honored, he submitted to his parents. Interesting in the Bible, there's, there's two lists. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible before, one in Romans 1 and one in 2 Timothy 3, I think it is. And there are two lists that talk about, in particular, Timothy talks about the end times and, and the terribleness of the world and how, how people are going to live and it's going to be awful and they're going to be haters of God and lovers of themselves and selfish. Romans 1 is all about the wickedness of man. And they're all true things. But in that list, it, it's going through these lists like murderers, slanderers, God-haters. And then right at the end of both of these lists, it has these two phrases, and they will be people that are disobedient to their parents. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that that's how serious God takes it, but also that that's how serious it is. Those who honor their parents, things will go well with them. This principle is not just, as we said, for honoring our parents. I could have taken you to Scripture that tells us to honor one another, and for husbands to honor wives and wives to honor their husbands and for everyone to honor the governing authorities. But it starts, according to the Bible, with honor in the home. Finally and lastly then, 
Honor produces destiny. Deuteronomy 5.16, right at the end of that verse, it says, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In this passage, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and He's talking about the promised land, the promised land for God's people. Do you know that God has a promised land for you? Do you believe that? God has a promised land. He has a destiny for you. He has a calling for your life. Some people think the promised land is heaven. It's not heaven because the promised land still had enemies in it. The promised land for us is the overcoming Christian life, living in the blessings God has for us and defeating our enemies. God has a destiny. God has a calling for each one of us, and it's honor that produces destiny. Honor is not what you say. It is what you do and what you do in your heart. Lastly, then, I just want to finish with five things. You might think, five things? You should be finished by now. Very quickly, bullet points. How do I honor my parents? How, How does this even work? Just very quickly, one after the other. Here's the first one. You choose to. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Sammy, you do not know my parents. You do not know my dad. He wasn't there. You do not know my mom. You do not know what she was like. In honoring your parents, you don't honor their actions, but you do honor them as people. And one of the ways that you honor them is you choose to, and you also choose to forgive them. So I recognize there might be people here tonight who maybe you're carrying stuff that your parents have done to you, things they've said over your life. Hey, they they might not have been walking with God and, and they didn't know anything about what it meant to raise good kids. You don't know what's happened to them. You don't know how they were raised. In this moment, maybe tonight you need to let something go and forgive them and choose to honor them. Second thing, a way we can honor our parents is appreciate them. We can choose to appreciate the strengths in them rather than their weaknesses. I could tell you a number of weaknesses about my dad, but I would never do that in public. That would be dishonoring. But he has many strengths, and I would gladly talk to you about, talk to you about them. Appreciate their strengths rather than focusing on their weaknesses. Take their advice seriously. Sometimes your parents give rubbish advice depending on who your parents are. You might think, hang on, all their advice is rubbish. But take your parents' advice seriously. If they say something, it's not against God's word, take it seriously. Consider it. Give it thought. Fourthly and lastly, never abandon them. (laughs) In church, we want to treat older folks with respect and our parents Apparently, according to statistics, pensioners living in Edinburgh are the loneliest in the UK. Apparently, the Scottish capital landed at the bottom of a list for the amount of time that over 65 spend with their family and friends. That's shocking. And whether your mom and dad live in Edinburgh or live outside of Edinburgh, maybe you live in a different country to your parents, there's still a way that we can appreciate them, that we can abandon them, that we can still spend time with them and keep that connection. I've gone over time. Sons and daughters, let us 
be countercultural, honoring our parents and living in the blessings and destiny God has for us. Parents, let's prioritize loving Jesus, modeling this to our kids, and transforming our communities. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful tonight for your presence. We're grateful tonight, God, that you've been with us. We're grateful tonight, God, that you have something to say into this amazing but very complex and complicated and convoluted area of families. Father, I pray for every single family that is represented here tonight, the pain, the hurt, the flourishing, the acceptance, the good times, the bad times. God, tonight we we give it to you all. God, I pray for parents who are represented here this evening. I pray right now, God, that you would just instill in them, encourage them tonight that the most important thing that they can do with their lives is to love you well. And as they do that, God, I pray that kids in this church family and in a wider family would flourish. Father, I pray for kids, children, sons, daughters, people whose parents are still around. I pray, God, that we would be a family of honor. This is not about being yes people. This is not about ignoring things. But God, it is the ability to be able to honor those who you have placed over authority in us, over us. And tonight, God, we simply say that we honor our parents. They haven't been perfect, but God, we choose to forgive them. We choose to accept them. We choose to focus on their strengths. We choose to spend time with them. We choose to appreciate them this evening. And God, as we honor them, I pray that it would go well with us and that, God, we would live in the destiny that you have called us to. So, God, come and just minister to us now, we pray in Jesus' name.